the school is out. Which means it's time for Hi Kids. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hi Kids show. This is Hi Kids for Kids by Kids. My name is Lexi Abramson and I'm 12 years old. So coming up on Hi Kids today, I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Greenberg. He is a vet. What is a vet? So listen kids, don't go away. We have a very exciting show coming up. Also in the show, I have a tongue twister to challenge your mouth and a high kid riddle to challenge your brain. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss this high kid show. Here are the details if you have any questions for my guest or if you want to say hi to your friends and family. The SMS number is 34519 and it's charged 1 rand 50 cents. You can send me a telegram on 0618951019 and please sign your name. You can also call us on 010 1403020. I'll repeat. 0101403020. Get ready for a very interesting show on Hi Kids today. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. This is Hi Kids for Kids by Kids. My name is Lexi Abramson and I'm 12 years old. I have Dr. Greenberg with me in studio. So send your questions to 34519. Or telegram to 061-895-1019. Good afternoon, Dr. Greenberg. Oh, good afternoon, Lexi. So we're going to jump straight into your questions. Is that okay? I'm ready for you. Okay, perfect. So how did you get into pseudonym Dr. Platzot? Well, initially, uh, veterinarians weren't allowed to advertise, and we had to uh, alter our names uh, to avoid publicity mm-hmm. and to also make sure that We're not being unethical in any way whatsoever, like false advertising or promotion, promoting your own business.、Mm. So in those days, we had to have pseudonyms. And when I was on 702, they decided on a name in the beginning, which was、uh, a bit childish. And then they decided on calling me after a certain breed, but I didn't want to side with any breeds. And then in those days, there was a host by the name of David Blood. Who said to me, what are your favorite pets? What are your favorite animals? So I said, well, I love wild dog and I love hyenas, lachende behemoths. And,、uh, I also said that very popular is the, the flat dogs, which are in, in those days in Zimbabwe are crocodiles. They're called、oh. flat dogs. <laughs> so then he said, a platont. And then he says, we will call you platsuntia. <laughs> and that's how it started. So,、oh. Uh, so that started,、uh, about 25 years ago. Wow. And it's basically stuck. And it's,、uh, it has certain connotations to it because plats can be used in training. When you're training a dog, you say, plats! It's <laughs> got to go down. And then you're talking to the hunt. So, <laughs> plats hunt. And so, it,、uh, it was quite apt.、Mm, it's quite smart, I have to say. And why did you choose to become a veterinarian? Well, a couple of reasons. I was very interested in snakes, and my father、snakes. said to me that you can't really support a family by being a herpetologist. And I was very keen just to look after snakes and lizards for the rest of my life. And then he spoke to a friend. He said, well, why doesn't he become a veterinarian? And then I went to see our local vet at that stage,、uh, Dr. Izzy Bacher, which was, he was down the road here in Sandringham. And I went to work for him and he gave me the advice on how to become a veterinarian. I had to learn Afrikaans. I went to the army to learn my Afrikaans and he 
also said the best thing to do is to go through uh, Pretoria University. What and age were you here? Well, um, I, I took an interest when I was 12. Okay. And I was at King David, and a lot of people didn't like my bringing snakes to school. <laughs> and I used to always be first in the tuck shop because of the snakes in my shirt. <laughs> and it scared quite a few people. But uh, I, I was very, 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 very fond of them. And when I heard that it was very difficult to become a vet, it became a challenge. And that's why I took it on, because ah. there's, it's, it's a very difficult course. And it's got a great variety because you deal with everything from fish to elephants. And it's, it's this diversity which makes it more interesting. It's one of the professions where it's the least boring because every day is different. Wow. And is it difficult to get into veterinary science? It is very difficult. I know in those days they used to take 45 people in South Africa wow. from all the universities. And today I think there's about 180 applicants a year. That's amazing. And you actually need to get certain uh, levels of uh, of, of um, marks to get in. And some people used to do a degree to get credits in order to get into Honestapurt because that's the only place in South Africa that you can do veterinary science and possibly one of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And can you explain what ethology is? Ethology is the study of instinctive animal behavior. So it's where uh, anybody who specializes in understanding the behavior of animal species can look at it from an instinctive point of view, or it can be um, how it relates to other situations and other people. But it's really the, the study of, of animal behavior, which in human terms would be anthropology or perhaps psychology. And ethology is even extended in veterinary science to psychiatry. So if you're a veterinarian specializing in ethology, you'll deal with uh, almost being a social worker to being a counselor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and a veterinarian so all in one. animal feelings. Yes. It's everything about why the animal does what it does oh. and how do you understand it because people don't understand animals anymore mm. and you and you are now to be a pioneer in an animal behavior can you tell us about this and how you developed the interest well i started the interest soon after i qualified because so many people used to come into the practice with behavior problems why is my dog chasing motor cars why is it biting the child why is it digging in the garden why is it jumping fences and running away? Why does it destroy the washing on the line? So all these problems were part of veterinary practice, and I needed to find answers. And when I qualified, there weren't many answers. So you had to, you had to think on your feet and try and give answers. And what was happening in my life at that stage was also happening all over the world with other veterinarians being exposed to the changes animals have gone through by living behind four walls in the very small dwellings in um, cities where people live also in these confined spaces. So dogs were showing the stress of being confined and being understimulated, untrained, uneducated, and we had to find answers for that. And I took a great interest in it and... 
I'm very happy with all the results that have developed over the years because it has changed dramatically even since I qualified. So it's, it's a very important part of veterinary science today. Wow. And you work with all animals? Well, in practice, it's mostly dogs, cats, and birds. Uh, do occasionally deal with the odd reptile and monkey, whatever else comes into the practice. But because veterinarians are highly specialized today, most people who've got exotic pets, say bearded dragons mm. or kotimundis or something like that, will want to go perhaps to our exotic hospital at Onestupurt and get the best to deal with it. There are some vets in practice that deal with, um, for example, I also deal with rabbits and guinea pigs, but there's other vets that do that as well. And uh, it makes it a little bit more interesting to be able to deal with other species. But in general, uh, it's mostly the normal companion animal. The common pets. Mm. Yeah. Do you specialize in working with any animals in particular? I would say that uh, specialization is not what I can do in, in a, a private practice where, where I'm on my mm. own. I try to deal with everything that comes through the door. But if I feel it is a very complicated issue, for example, if a parrot comes in with advanced what we call esaculitis, which is pneumonia, then I would refer it to our exotic hospital where it would have to be put into oxygen and Mm. to be tube-fed every few hours through the day and night by nurses And that intensive care is not something that you can do in private practice. Mm. But certainly, there are certain things that we can do that are are simple, but the more complicated cases all get referred to the specialists Mm. who do that all day. And what animals do you feel are the most challenging to work with? I would say that a feral cat is very difficult because it suffers from fear lack of socialization, and it's very aggressive out of fear. Mm. It's scared because it's been picked up in the street. It's never known people, and it only knows the owner, and it scratches and bites. Also an alley cat. Yeah, type of alley cat. The others are untrained dogs, particularly of the burbul, the pit bull, where the dogs are purchased by young guys, who want to show off their macho image, and they do no training on these dogs, and they teach them to be aggressive, they become very, very difficult patients. And every time those come through the door, you actually think of a risk to your own health and your own life. They could attack you. Because they do. They sometimes lunge at you, mm. and you've got to be able to see that, especially as a behaviorist. We can see what that dog's going to do by the owner's behavior. Mm. So if we see weakness in the owner, we know that dog's going to be a problem. You were the first vet to create puppy socialization essay classes. Why did you do this, and why is it important? Well, puppy socialization I started about 40 years ago because I found that as time goes on, more and more people know less and less about the animals. So the puppy classes were actually to teach the owners how to understand their pets, oh. how to understand their behavior. Why do they do certain things? And by teaching the owners to be a little bit informed, the dogs automatically become educated. So the intention there was to have more reliable 
patients at the practice and also for people to be happy with their dogs. Ah. And that is really um, the other aspect is that puppies that go to puppy socialization have a better immunity to disease because they're exposed to their own age group and they've just been vaccinated for the first time. Mm. And by having contact with each other, they cross-immunize and get better protection against disease. Whereas those puppies that stay at home and never get out are more vulnerable to illness. Okay. And should there be follow-up classes to puppies when they get older? Definitely. The moment a puppy has gone through socialization, which is nursery school and primary school, once they finish that, they must go to basic obedience because it's training the owner to understand the dog. So the, the longer the owner carries on, the better the relationship between the family and the dog and the happier the dog and the more socially acceptable and more reliable. Oh. And are you involved with the SBCA? And if so, um, w- would you want to share about your experience there? Well, for a period of 10 years, I was honorary chairman of the Santon SBCA, and I thoroughly enjoyed the contribution I made towards that organization. They do a lot of wonderful work. And I can only say that uh, they do need an incredible amount of public support. And I found that, you know, these organizations have to be run as a business because they need to be profitable and they obviously rely to a certain extent on public funds. And it is it is something that every single child at school should experience is a couple of hours at the SPCA to find out what the problems they experience, how they get to where they are, and what they do as a service to the public. And I would say that the experiences that I've had there is the disappointment in human beings who will abandon dogs because they're digging in the garden or they don't match the furniture or they're destroying something inside the house or they're biting the child. They won't do anything to prevent the problem, but they feel they've got the right to buy a dog. And what they do is they then relinquish it to the SPCA and then it goes to another home. But that dog's also got a problem already. So then it goes to another home and has a further problem. And some of these dogs get rehomed and recycled quite a few times. So all the problems you see there are man-made. And with dogs who are adopted when they're older, do they have more behavioral issues than when puppies are adopted when they're small? Right. It's always better to adopt a puppy because you can mold that puppy to your lifestyle You do the training, you do the early socialization, the imprinting, and once they're in that impressionable period, you can do much more to make them obedient, socially acceptable, and very good pets. But once they are rescue animals, they've already got set ideas, and they can be a problem. Certainly, many, many dogs that are homed by the animal welfare organizations are evaluated as to whether they're safe with other dogs or safe with people, and a lot of them are, in fact, socially acceptable. But their tolerance towards other animals is sometimes a problem, and many animals are are adopted which have got already baggage. So 
one of the most common problems we see at the moment is some of these animals that are abandoned at animal welfare have been rescued from rural areas or in um, uh, low-income areas, and now they are taken on by an animal welfare, and they say to the people, you must let the dog sleep inside the house. So the dog's been living outdoors for five years. It gets into the house. It's claustrophobic. There's no grass. There's no plants. There's no fresh air. And these dogs have to sit inside while people are sleeping at night. They've got to hold in all everything till the morning. And these dogs become destructive. So what happens is people give them back to the SPCA because they don't understand that dog doesn't want to be inside the house. It doesn't understand being in that confined space. And people won't understand that. They just think dogs have to be kept inside. For what reason, I don't know. Mm. And how do you treat dogs that misbehave? Well, the basic principle, which comes into the ethology, is you never punish a dog for doing wrong. A dog doesn't know it's done wrong. You reward a dog for doing the right thing. But you have to know what's right. And you have to be consistent. So if the dog is calm, you reward it. When it's yapping, you keep quiet. You ignore it. If the dog has destroyed something, you can't shout at it, you can't hit it, because it doesn't know it's wrong. So when you teach a dog at training, they don't have do these things because they've got a different mindset. They, they're not frustrated, they're not fearful, and they've got some kind of parameter. They've got uh, boundaries and that is where it all comes into that. But the basic principle is you reward good behavior and you ignore bad behavior. Mm. And you do what they call repetitive conditioning. You keep on rewarding them for doing the right thing. Wow. So let's take a quick song break and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. My name is Lexi Abramson and I'm 12 years old. Now let's carry on with the questions with Dr. Greenberg. So you have spent many years on radio and writing columns and articles for magazines. What can you share about your experiences in these areas? Well, over the years, uh, there's been an enormous increase in people requesting assistance with problems mm. with the animals. And what I can only say is that people never learn. People are lazy mentally and physically, so they want a dog but they think that they can use a remote like they do with television and with a gate, and they can just press a button and the dog's going to behave. They Mm -hmm. think because they love their dog and they give it a nice home and they give it lovely food, the dog's going to behave. They don't realize that it's a commitment for 14 years. You need to take the dog to puppy socialization. It needs to go to basic obedience, and it needs to get stimulated. The dog has to get out the house. You can't have the dog behind four walls without it having behavior problems. And it also depends on the type of breed that people select. You don't take working dogs and lock them up behind four four walls, like Border Collies and Jack Russells, because it's cruel. Those dogs need space. They're farm dogs. So people don't select the breed correctly. And that is is the bottom line with all these problems. Mm. And what are the most common type of questions people would ask you? Well, at the moment, it's mostly destructiveness in and around the house. Uh, we've got dogs that uh, are attention-seeking in behavior. 
where they will stand in front of the television and won't let their owners watch. They bark all the time. Then you've got obsessive-compulsive disorders where dogs mutilate themselves through frustration, or they will run around in circles chasing their tail. <laughs> uh, they, um, they might just grab things from the house. Uh, for example, they raid a dustbin, and they will tear the place to pieces because they get attention for it and because people shout at them and chase them. So we're seeing a whole variety, and I would say that uh, there's, there's close on over a hundred common problems that we see with, uh, with dogs within homes. Cats, cats show much less. Cats are more aloof, more independent. Mm. And we're also seeing problems with parrots plucking feathers, mm. screaming, shrieking, because people give too much attention when they're young, and when the novelty wears off, they drop their attention span, and the animals get separation anxiety. So if you want to put something right at the top of the list of problems, it's separation anxiety. And there's a whole range of separation anxieties. Mm. And are there any things that we should be aware of with dogs' body language? Well, this is where puppy training and um, obedience training comes in because you have to understand the body language of the dog to know what the dog is doing and why it's doing it. But people don't see that. They misinterpret it. For example, when they come home and the dog's messed on the carpet, they see the dog slinking away, and they say the dog knows he has done wrong. He's guilty. Now, first of all, animals don't suffer from guilt, and they don't know they've done wrong. What that dog is seeing is the owner's face and remembers that when the owner looked like that last time, they got a hiding. So they are going into a submissive mode to preempt punishment. So people don't understand that. They also say dogs are jealous, and dogs can't be jealous. What they're doing is they're saying the same thing to their newborn baby that they used to say that to the dog before the baby was born. So when they're saying, hello, my darling, so what happens? The dog comes there because that's what they used to call the dog, and the mm. dog tries to put its nose between the baby and the mother. Oh, he's jealous. He can't be jealous. All he's doing is defending his status and responding to the same signals that it was trained to follow all these years. Mm. And then the dog gets pushed away and rejected. So the dog starts developing behavior problems. So this is why people today do not understand the, the body language of dogs. They don't understand why they do things. Very often it's misinterpreted. In fact, 99% is misinterpreted. Oh. And why is diet important with animals in general, and dogs in particular? Well, you see, um, dogs have to eat dog food because it's scientifically formulated and balanced for the species and for various age groups and for various health issues. For puppies and adults. Yeah, so you've got puppies, adults, and seniors, mm. and then you've got certain breeds require certain mm. uh, diets, and then you've got uh, with diabetes or kidney problems, you've got special diets. Veterinary science is more advanced in diet than the, the human species. And what people fail to do is stick to the food. Because they're not only feeding the dog food, but they're feeding human food. And what they are doing is they're imbalancing the balanced dog food. They're then teaching the dog to beg, and they're teaching the dog to be fussy, and they're causing health problems because most dogs are allergic to human food. Mm. 
Mm. So they start like getting chocolate. it. Yeah, there could be chocolate. There could be uh, bread, cake, uh, bultong, whatever you give to oh. that dog. The dog must only eat dog food. So it must eat dog food, whether it's pellets or cans. And if it gets treats, it gets dog treats because they have been tested to be effective in dogs. Mm. And that is where people make a mistake. Oh. And is it a problem if dogs become overweight? Um, obesity is in about 85% of our pets in the cities because people are overweight. People don't know how to eat themselves. So they don't know how to feed their dogs either. And a lot of people think that a fat dog's a healthy dog, but most of these fat dogs get premature arthritis. Oh. They get uh, diabetes. They get irritable bowel disease. They tend to uh, develop things like Cushing syndrome, hypothyroid, and even heart and kidney disease. So an overweight animal has got a shortened lifespan. And one of the researchers has said that if your dog's 30% overweight, there's a chance that your dog's lifespan is shortened by 30%. And we get dogs coming in that are 100% overweight. And as soon as they get ill, people start crying. And they always blame somebody else in the family for having fed the dog. It's either the grandmother in the cottage <laughs> or it's the husband while he's watching TV. But nobody takes full responsibility. And sit down and say, what's right for the dog? If I love my dog, I should feed him properly. I want him to live long and I want him to be healthy. Mm. And a healthy diet and the, and the right quantity is a healthy dog. Yes. And when choosing a pet, what should one think of before deciding? That's a very good question because people don't do this. You've got to say to yourself, what type of home do I have? If I'm behind four walls, no working dogs. How much time have I got to walk my dog? If I can't walk a dog, preferably get a teddy bear. <laughs> if you want a dog because you've got issues, you want to ha- cuddle something at night, you want something to sleep on your bed, you want something to love you a lot, get a teddy bear. <laughs> but dogs need to be dogs. And it's important that you decide right in the beginning what suits your lifestyle. So if you want to live in a townhouse, think of a Pekingese. If you want to live on a plot on a farm, get yourself a Border Collie or a Jack Russell. But speak to animal behaviorists or veterinarians and say, right, this is how I want to live. What breed should I choose? And not only do you choose the right breed, You've got to choose the right sex of dog, and you've got to decide what type of commitment do you have. If you've got only 15 minutes a day to spend with a dog, rather have quality 15 minutes than kiss and cuddle the dog on the couch for 24 hours, because that's not what a dog wants. A dog wants to be a dog. It wants training. It wants exercise. It wants discipline and wants to be rewarded for doing the right thing. Mm. Basics. And is it important to take dogs out, like for walks or to see other dogs? It's important from puppy socialization onwards. If you go to a place called Warkhaven, it's an education for everybody. It's an enormous dog park. It's at the Bayers Nodir off-ramp, 17 kilometers north. So dogs and puppies. Dogs, puppies, they go there by the hundreds and thousands on the weekend. And these dogs have all been to puppy training and obedience, and they socialize. You'll find that dogs, if you leave them alone, they get on. Mm. It's when people start yanking the lead and screaming and shouting, preempting a fight, that's when the dogs will have a fight. Uh. So 
It's very important, but dogs need to get out because they get claustrophobic, they get cabin fever sitting behind four walls. They don't have to go far. As long as they get beyond those four walls and they go and sniff the pavement, what we call reading the newspapers, <laughs> and just enjoy life, it makes a big difference to those dogs mm. and stops a lot of frustration. Ah. And if you decide to get a second dog, what should one think about? It's important that you've got the first dog obedience trained. Socially acceptable, so it can set a role model. And always a second dog must be the opposite sex. Mm. But it must also be a dog with the same energy level. So if you've got a Pekingese, get another Pekingese or a Shih Tzu or a Lhasa Apso. But if you've got yourself a very active dog like a Boston Terrier, get it a miniature Schnauzer or something <laughs> else that's more or less the same size and they can complement each other. Uh-huh. It's no use getting a... St. Bernard for a Chihuahua. It's not going to help. And should dogs sleep on their own or in their own space, in their own space or with their owners? This has to be decided in the beginning. When you first get your dog, you've got to say to yourself, where do I want this dog to sleep for the next 15 years? It's no use having the dog in your bed and then you want to have a child and then you want to uh, kick the dog out of the bedroom put it outside, and cause separation anxiety. I believe dogs should sleep outside in a very comfortable area where they're not exposed to severe elements because they want to play around in the garden at 2 o'clock in the morning. They've got the space to do so. If people want them in the bed, they've got to do that for the next 15 years. And you can't change it. Even if the puppy's been in the house for one week, if you've got it in your bed, you're not going to get it out. Mm. And then you've got to say to yourself, If the dog is licking its bum and then it's licking you in the morning, is that what you want from a dog? Probably not. We see it all the time. And you know how many people get sick from their dogs? It's a big issue. What should what should we do when puppies are teething and started to destroy the house? Yeah, that destruction of the house is not teething. A lot of people believe that. The destruction is frustration from being understimulated, having no boundaries, and not having been taught what is legal and what's illegal. So if a dog is chewing your shoes, you've got to give it a command, leave. You take the shoe away and you give it something that it should eat. So the dog doesn't become aggressive because you're removing its trophy. The dog learns that eating something appropriate is being rewarded. Uh. So that goes back to training. Okay. Are all dogs hunters, or what should you do if your dog attacks a bird in the garden? Most of the dogs that uh, kill birds, a lot of dogs that will attack cats and whatever, are purely unsocialized dogs. Mm. They're just left to their instincts. So all dogs who are not trained end up being almost like predators. So they've got nothing else to do. So there's a bird in the garden, they chase it, the bird flies away. They get a power play, and now they're going to try and uh, stalk the next one. And they eventually <laughs> do. Uh, a lot of these dogs get these birds out almost in flight because they become quite adept at being predators. But there's certain breeds that don't do that, uh, particularly the toy breeds. But I've heard of a Yorkshire Terrier that's killed a couple of birds. But a lot of these others are working dogs that have got nothing mm. better to do. And ah. unfortunately... There's a problem in its, in, in its puppyhood 
that's created that that uh, type uh, of uh, behavior. And what do you love most about your job? I like the variety and in the hope that I can educate people to understand the animals better so that the dogs don't get euthanized for doing something that people don't like. Because if a cat scratches the furniture, they bring it in for euthanasia, and that could have been prevented. If the dog bites the child and has mutilated the child and has had to go for surgery, or it's killed the child, you'll find that they've never, ever been to a vet. The, uh, the parents have never, ever asked advice on what dog they should get. And even after the dog has killed the child or mutilated the child, and I've been to many court cases, they don't come back and say, what sh- should we have done? They still repeat the same arrogant um, behavior, and it's usually a man that's behind all this. Mm. And so what is the least favorite part of your job? Um, dealing with human ignorance mm. and neglect of the animals. Oh. And we have one more question, and that is, what advice can you give to those kids who are interested in becoming a vet? Well, I would tell them that it's an incredibly rewarding profession. It's much more difficult than medicine because you're dealing with so many different species. So if you're doing anatomy in a human being as a medical doctor, we're doing the anatomy of cats, dogs, sheep, goats, pigs, horses, cattle, wildlife, fish, birds, and we have to know it all. Mm. So if we're doing muscles, we do the muscles of all those species. If we do blood vessels, we do all those species. So there's a lot of work. Um, and uh, when you qualify, you obviously can branch out into any field. You can go into education, pharmaceutical companies, um, lecturing. You can do small animal practice. You can, you can do gynecology in horses. Uh, you can do um, exotic pets. There's many, many avenues that people can specialize in. And this has been Hi Kids for Kids Bar Kids. My name is Lexi Abramson, and I'm 12 years old. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Greenberg, for coming on Hi Kids, and thank you to my producer, Mandy, and Craig for pushing the big red buttons. Join us tomorrow for another Hi Kids show, only on 101.9 Hi FM.